Welcome to the 52nd episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we told you about the twisted Twitter killer in Tokyo. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and we always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, we will sometimes make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to help to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and please leave us that five-star rating with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more, the merrier. What's up, Mercedes? Hey, Cindy. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? I'm good. We're doing this remotely again. So I'm hoping the last one sounded okay. I haven't listened to it yet. Have you? Other than when I did the editing. And you said it sounded good. So hopefully um, our listeners are hearing good sound quality because, you know, we haven't even listened to last week's yet. So um, I think we definitely need to make sure that this is working before we keep going this way. (laughs) Yes. All right. So anything exciting going on this week? Nope. Not at all. Nothing exciting going on for the week. I haven't really watched the news. Yes. I did finish listening to that podcast in the red clay. Okay. And they actually came out with another episode. Really? Yeah. Episode 11. And so there it's like, um, follow-up information and they're searching for, um, like some bodies and they called in the cadaver dogs and they talked about cadaver dogs. I may have heard, heard that one. I may, it just I, came out on Tuesday. Okay. Then I didn't hear that one. Okay. Good. You should go back and listen to it. I just, I was listening to another podcast uh, put on by uh, CBC Canadian broadcasting company. I can't remember what it's called, but it was about Adrian, a kid named Adrian who went missing when he was five and they brought in cadaver dogs. So I didn't hear like, they brought the cadaver dogs in yeah, like in and the, the dark, dark gone in the dark or gone yeah something like oh somebody knows something or yeah. someone knows something something like yeah. that yeah so uh the last episode i listened to the dogs had alerted three different three or four different dogs alerted in the same area mm. and it was in the water so they had to bring in dog uh divers but the uh, body of water was frozen over so i don't know the outcome of that yet Mm. interesting they they went into detail about how the dogs like what they do to assure that they're getting because they're not they're they're you know reacting to the scent obviously and that um and depending on the time of the year it matters the weather and if um because with the vegetation will pull the scent and like yes it can like mess with them. And, um, they had two different dogs that would, they'd pull one out and they would start them like nowhere near where they were searching for and see if they found their way to a spot. And if they did, then they'd go get the other dog. They would then lead them to a different spot and see if they'd come back. And then they'd go get the other dog and start them at like a third spot to see if they'd find their way. And they were, these two dogs were hitting on the same spot. And that's, that's exactly what they did in that, um, the one I was just telling you about. Definitely interesting. And they did talk about the vegetation, picking up the odor of death. They Mm -hmm. said that, um, that the dogs also alerted on a tree that was maybe 15 feet or away or whatever from where they actually alerted. And she said that sometimes, this lady who's a volunteer 
said that sometimes it can be up to 150 yards away from like where they actually find bones and stuff it's interesting definitely yeah so no dogs in this week are you ready i'm ready all right well you know me and um i've been wanting to i've been wanting to do a murder in mississippi because i am ocd and i want to do one from every state before i start doubling back so i did i found one in mississippi and my google keyword was elvis murder oh and i got a hit so some of you may have already heard this but i have never heard about this murder oh okay is it like a reenactment like a elvis what is it what are they an uh, elvis and what is it person impersonator no it's not (laughs) okay (laughs) it's not okay so we're going to mississippi in the heat of july you know humid humidity and mosquitoes right around uh it was this took place on july 5th we're going to start on july 5th so it's the day after um july 4th now as i said before i hadn't heard of this one before and a lot of the info is conflicting Mm-hmm. but it's a doozy and it's okay. mayhem a dukes a hazard style police chase murder police brutality and a cover-up so oh, get ready okay give it to me mm-hmm. all right on thursday july 5th 2001 54 year old billy ray stone he's a white male construction worker wearing his best jeans his western boots a red western hat his big old belt buckle and a black ca- cowboy hat along oh, yeah. with his 388 pistol He's got an urban cowboy going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He stopped into um, a lounge, JR's lounge, around 6.30 p.m. He drank a few beers. Uh, Some people say that he left around 8 or 8.30. Others say he stayed until around 10.30 or 11. But what is known is that he was driving his company-issued red Chevy pickup truck. Okay. Not many people noticed that there was a sign on it in white letters, but he covered those letters up with red duct tape or someone did so they couldn't tell what company you know he was driving because there's a lot of like i said a lot of conflicting information out there on what occurred after he left the bar but one of those stories claims that he allegedly abducted a 54 year old woman charlene wright at gunpoint off the porch in her green street home in tupelo okay now his family denies this story. They That's told where Elvis is from. What? That's where Elvis. Tu- yeah, Tupelo. Tupelo, right? Mm-hmm. He actually lived. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he lived um, uh, like right outside of Tupelo. I think, like, kind of in a rural area. Um, yeah, we have a friend um, whose grandmother had. They have a picture on their refrigerator of their grandmother uh-huh. and this little boy they're like 10 years old and that little boy and their neighbors and that little boy is Elvis. Oh, cute. My friend that's married to the Greek, you know, had the big fat Greek wedding. It's her, yeah. it's her, uh, great grandmother. Oh, grandmother. okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, sorry to, uh, no, it's okay. Making connections right and left here. All <laughs> right. So anyway, supposedly he, um, he abducted this 54 year old woman at gunpoint off her porch in Tupelo. Now his family denies the story. They told police that Wright and um, that the woman, Charlene Wright and Mr. Stone were friends and it was not uncommon for them to be in the car together. Uh, The police said we had two or three people call us and say, I know they knew each other and that she got in the car voluntarily. 
they okay. had a difficult time believing the story um the story that stone's family told them for reasons that i'm going to explain later okay so whatever the case what is known is that shortly after midnight on july 6th police had set up a roadblock now i looked this up because i couldn't figure out why in the hell is there a roadblock right i found two different explanations first i read that the roadblock was initiated because the police were searching for the kidnapper like somebody okay. had reported a kidnapping and they had a roadblock now the other explanation and this is the one that i tend to believe because i've seen it in more than one newspaper is that the roadblock was a routine sobriety checkpoint it that's was, what i was gonna say yeah it was a thursday night though and i guess that they would still do it i mean i don't know but thursday a couple days after fourth of july possibly. It, yes it was the day after the fourth of july and so who knows but whatever i'm not exactly sure which scenario is true but most sources agree it was a routine roadblock yeah because if it was just uh i don't know that they would do a roadblock for an adult that they right. Getting kidnapped right yeah. you know unless somebody said she was pulled off a gunpoint yeah but still yeah. you know you would have to organize a roadblock and all that would take time yeah all right well anyway whatever the case he drew attention to himself shortly after midnight stone did he drove he drove the red truck uh he saw the roadblock and he attempted to do a u-turn and he was close enough to where the officer quickly approached the car and was like roll your window down sir i need to see your license well supposedly stone refused to produce the license and pulled the gun instead and shot at the officer as he was driving away now, this, of course, led to an all-out Dukes of Hazard-style speed car, yep, high-speed car chase, bullets flying in all directions. What did yeah. you say? I said, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, this is the story, and the police are sticking to it. Okay. All right. Now, during the high-speed chase, and between taking and dodging shots at and from pursuing officers, Stone shoved Charlene Wright out of the rapidly moving truck. They're speeding. She hits the pavement and was completely naked her hands and feet were bound with the same duct tape that supposedly covered the lettering on the red work truck and as soon as she hit the road she was promptly run over by one of the pursuing police vehicles shut up <laughs> yes so she gets pushed out and she's run over and she was run over by the sheriff of the county and his name was harold ray presley oh okay. harold ray by the way is what he goes by is first cousins to elvis's daddy okay okay so they elvis's dad and harold ray have the same grandfather okay um now elvis was born earlier harold ray is about elvis is about 13 years older than him elvis was born in 1935 and harold ray was born in 1948 so okay his elvis is older than him and harold ray you know looked up to his cousin of course he did definitely right so my he, uh, what is it? I said, my cousin's Elvis. Yeah, right. And now. he lived up to it because, you know, in his younger days, Cheryl, Sheriff Harold Ray was a charismatic, popular sheriff who many said was a lot like Elvis. Um, he, you know, he lived a partying lifestyle, caroused a lot, just like, you know, Elvis did. He idolized Elvis. Okay. All right. So that's my Elvis connection there. Okay. That's <clears throat> right. where it ends pretty much yeah okay all right. all right so anyway harold ray told dispatch he runs over this lady and he's like yeah i just i think i just ran over someone 
send uh, paramedics immediately. So she's lying in the road. And when EMTs arrived on scene, they found her lying naked, bound and bleeding, suffering from serious injuries. She had fractured bones, scrapes and bruises, as well as sexual trauma. Mm, Man. She was taken to North Mississippi Medical Center for treatment. And while she was there, of course, police start questioning her about what happens. And according to police, she said that she had been abducted and sexually assaulted by a man that she later identified as Billy Ray Stone. She picked him out of a photo photo lineup. Okay. You know, she said, I'd never met this guy before. Um, Here he is. Now she was on the road to recovery. They had her, you know, her bones set. They had her cleaned up and everything. She died the very next day. Like she's fine one minute and then the next day she dies. And it turns out she had internal injuries. She had a lacerated liver. Now, how the hell did they not check? I mean, don't you, can't you check that? Like if somebody gets hit by a car, wouldn't you do testing or whatever to find out if her liver is lacerated? I mean, yeah, that's what like MRIs and all that stuff yeah. is for. What's your sounds, right? Right. So, I mean, just to me, a lot of fishy stuff, you know, but she ended up dying the next day after supposedly the story came out. All right. Mm. Now, in the meantime, there's still this car chase, right? And it only lasted a few minutes after Charlene was pushed out into the path of the police vehicles because Stone ended up crashing the truck near a patch of woods. He quickly ditched the vehicle and supposedly took off running into the woods where he eluded police. So police are looking for him. And finally, around 2 a.m., they're like, okay, well, we need to, you know, we need to regroup. We need to come up with a plan. So Sheriff um, Presley, Sheriff Harold Ray, um, sends a lot of his force home. He's like, you know, you guys go home, get some rest. You know, me and these other guys will hang out around here um, so we can prepare for a manhunt in the morning. Sheriff Harold Ray and a few deputies remained in the area to guard the perimeter, making sure that Billy Ray Stone wouldn't wouldn't go far. And they didn't have to wait long because around 4 a.m., dispatch got a 911 call from a guy named Robert Norris on Fellowship Road. Norris said that his dogs were barking like crazy towards the back of his property. He's pretty sure somebody is back there. So, of course, the sheriff, Sheriff Harold Ray, and one of his deputies, Jack Tate, were the first to arrive and they along with the homeowner mr norris went out um back to an outbuilding at the back of the property and they as they were opening the door shots were fired deputy tate froze apparently and harold ray shoved him out of the line of fire putting himself in the line of fire instead and he had only taken off his bulletproof vest about an hour before you know, oh, he's no. like, okay, it's hot, it's humid, and I won't need this right now. We're calling it all off. So mm. he was shot. Mm. Okay, it was a bad decision because the bullet that was meant for Tate uh, shot uh, went into Harold Ray as well as uh, five other bullets. So he was shot six times. Holy moly. As he's getting shot, it's a shootout between him and um, Billy Ray Stone. And uh, Stone was also shot, but Harold Ray Presley died from his wounds oh no so he's dead apparently stone um when presley went down stone tried to run off into the woods and other deputies began arriving at that point and they apprehended stone as he was was leaving and they handcuffed him they placed him face down on the ground in the melee norris the homeowner was somehow wounded never figured out how i don't know if he was shot i don't know what happened but he was also wounded 
Within minutes, Billy Ray Stone was dead. But how? At the end, both Billy Ray Stone and Harold Ray Presley were dead at the scene. Deputy Tate was shaken up, but he was not harmed. Deputies claim that everything went down as I just related to you, but is this the truth? Because authorities did not think so. Their story did not match up. An autopsy later on showed that Stone was seriously wounded by a gunshot to the the lung and would have died within minutes of being apprehended. But instead, he died of blunt force trauma to the head that led to cranial cerebral trauma. Well, if they just shot and killed their their sheriff, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't imagine if someone shot and killed the sheriff in our town, the holy hell that would be unleashed upon the person who did that because our sheriff right? is he is right. a beloved man and people so, lose their shit exactly and especially when you're in the heat of of the moment like that you know your adrenaline's running and your your fight yeah. or flight instinct c- kicks in all right so what we do know is that stone had head trauma it was serious head trauma he probably got a shit kicked at him well probably got kicked but, in the back of but the according head. to you know the stories coming from the deputies at first they just apprehended him Okay. Mm. So investigators with the Missouri Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and the United States Attorney's Civil Rights Division believe that Stone was beaten to death by five Lee County Sheriff deputies. They believe that these men beat Stone to death with their mag lights. The investigation initially named the five Lee County deputies who came into contact with Stone during and after his apprehension, and all of these men were placed immediately on administrative leave with pay. But then after Stone's autopsy results were released, they were, um, two of them were placed on administrative leave without pay. Those two were indicted and tried for civil rights violations. These were Danny Dillard and Jason Stanford, both of whom had been named and charged in other civil rights lawsuits brought on by people. So this is not like when I was looking up the... Uh, cases i found their names and at least two or three other cases i'm just going to tell you about two of them okay one of those was brought on by a man named luther ryan west who says that he was he was in some sort of altercation at a bar and he said that one of the individual defendants and we're talking about the police officers approached the plaintiff from behind and struck him violently over the head with a flashlight resulting in his head requiring several stitches the suit okay. claims that West was struck five or six more times by the officers before being pushed to the ground. Hmm. <laughs> so getting hitting someone with a flashlight is not was not anything new, I guess. Right. These two deputies, along with another one of the five who was originally charged, Deputy Dodds, were also accused of setting up hmm. another cop and were again indicted for the civil rights violation of that cop. So in August, on August 27, 2001, same year as all this was going down, wow. a cop named Michael Scribner, well, he's a former cop, mm-hmm. he accused Dillard Dodds um, and um, an unnamed bonding company with arresting him without probable cause and malicious prosecution. Scribner hmm. says that he had a falling out with Dillard in 1999 and that year was arrested on a trumped up felony drug charge. So according to court documents, Dillard and Dodds worked with Scribner and because of personal animosity between them, they acted maliciously against Scribner. Hmm. Scribner's suit charged that Dillard and Dodds, who were involved in a narcotics investigation, 
coerced a guy named Ricky Mayhall, who was a suspect in a narcotics case, into signing false statements that Scribner was involved in illegal drug activity. Dang. Yeah. So, I mean, they're setting up one of their own. Mayhall later came forward with the truth. So this, um, this guy who was a suspect later came out when he wasn't around them. And he's like, you know, that I, all that was a lie. And I had to tell the lie because first of all, I was scared of Dillard and Dodds. He admitted that he falsely incriminated um, the plaintiff under duress from Dillard and Dodds and that the plaintiff had nothing to do with any illegal narcotics. So basically, I mean, I have no trust in these cops. They are bad guys. And I really have to wonder what kind of operations Sheriff Harold Ray was running because there, there were a lot of things that even at the end, Sheriff Ray's Sheriff Harold Ray Presley's own family had questions about what was going on. Oh, I'll tell you about that later. Okay. So who knows was stone was he set up? I don't know. What I do know is that after um, more than a year after the incident, the deaths of Harold Ray Presley and Billy Ray Stone went to trial. The case went to trial on March 27, 2002. Both the investigation and the trial were the second biggest news story that year in North Mississippi, topped only by the WorldCom financial disaster, which is still considered the largest accounting fraud in U.S. history. Oh, wow. Little, little tidbit for you there. Yeah. All right, so the trial lasted for only five days. It was held at the U.S. District Court of Northern Mississippi, and it opened with the prosecution presenting evidence that deputies Dillard and Stanford used brute force by repeatedly striking Stone in the head with their police-issued maglite flashlights after Stone was no longer a threat to them. So what was their motive? Well, according to the prosecution, they were enraged by Stone's shooting at Presley. Deputy Dillard admitted to kicking Stone in the back But he says, I caused no injury and I did nothing else. The prosecutor, uh, prosecutors called many witnesses to the stand, including Deputy Stanford's own brother, Ken Stanford, who was an EMT first on the scene. Okay. Ken Stanford testified that he saw his brother stomp on stone and heard him say, you are going to die tonight. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. His own brother. Now, prosecutors also called other witnesses to the stand, including other officers who were on the scene. They called Mr. Norris, the homeowner, who was awoken by his barking dogs. Uh, They also called a police use of force expert who later admitted upon cross that all the evidence showed none of the deputies used. So basically, all um, all the experts and witnesses that the state brought, other side, what do you call that? The defense? The defense, Kind of shut it all down, you know? Hmm. it was easy to poke holes in the in the prosecutor's case others testified that dillard hit stone with a flashlight after stone was on the ground with his hands cuffed behind his back and others testified that deputy dillard prevented a paramedic from treating the suspect the medical examiner dr stephen hayne testified that in his autopsy report he wrote that stone had been struck in the head with an oblong heavy object five to eight times with great force but no witness could state definitively that either Deputy Dillard or Deputy Stanford were the ones striking those blows. There was also no physical evidence on the mag lights. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, a police officer knows enough to wipe their mag light off. Anyway, the defense used the government's own witnesses basically against the government here, and they poked all kinds of holes in this. So for Reese, uh, Tony Farise, I don't know if it's Farisi or Farise. He's kind of an arrogant guy. 
Now, he was um, one of the uh, defense attorneys, and he said during trial that there was absolutely no proof that Dillard and Stanford were responsible for Stone's fatal injuries. The defense called FBI agent Alfred Spires back to the stand. He had testified that when he questioned Deputy Jack Tate that night, Mm -hmm. Tate admitted hitting Stone five or more times in the head with a flashlight. Now, Spires also testified that Deputy John Lee also hit Stone in the head with his flashlight three times as he struggled to bring Stone under control and handcuff him. Stone had been shot in the lungs. So how much of a struggle could he have put up? Right? Yeah. Because, I mean, if he got shot in the lung, then he had a collapsed lung for sure. Yeah. And then if they said that was going to, like, that would have eventually killed him anyway, he wasn't probably, I mean, even with adrenaline, he probably wasn't. Well, and the family's going to talk a little bit more about his health and his physical appearance and all that. Um, in a few minutes, I'll tell you about that. Okay. But what I do want to say is that neither Lee nor Tate was accused of any wrongdoing. As a matter of fact, Deputy Tate got immunity very early in the investigation, and he was never charged with a crime. So okay. he was subpoenaed. The defense subpoenaed him to testify at trial, but Tate's attorney successfully had it quashed which is a new word quashed that I didn't know meant to, um, you know, strike it down. Mm-hmm. And he um, exercised his fifth amendment right not to incriminate himself. So the judge said he did not have to testify. Now this case allows uh, hearsay when that that's what allowed hearsay into this. Are you following me here? I am. Now evidence and exhibits introduced by the prosecution were so elementary that the defense had a super easy time creating a reasonable doubt. The defense uh, provided more detailed defense exhibits, photos, scene drawings, and transcripts to give the jury a better mental picture of the scene and of what actually happened. The defense also discredited discredited some of the witnesses that the prosecution had called to the stand. So these witnesses upon cross-examination testified that agents with the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation had threatened and intimidated them into making unfavorable statements about Dillard and Stanford. On the stand, these witnesses finally admitted that they did not see Dillard or Stanford strike stone as they had originally claimed. One witness testified that her testimony for the prosecution was coerced. She told the court that she had applied for a job, a dispatch dispatch position at Mm -hmm. the Mississippi Highway Patrol, and she was told that it, she would never get the job and um, they would get the Department of Children's Services to investigate her and have what? her children taken away if she did not say what they wanted her to hear. Really? Yeah. So a lot of like witness tampering and coercion in this little town. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a small town. So in the defense, um, defense's closing arguments, Tony Faris faced the jurors and he's telling them the story. He's like, you know, Stone left his house that day. He was armed with a 380 semi-automatic pistol and a box of ammunition. He was drinking at the lounge for a while. And then he decides he needs a woman. So he abducts Miss Wright, a middle-aged black female who was sitting on her porch minding her own business. I'm not really sure why they had to add black female. Yeah, why do they ever have to? Yeah, but they did. No one knows exactly what Stone did to Miss Wright during the one to one and a half hours that transpired before stone encountered the sheriff's checkpoint however it must have been terrifying according to the defense attorney because mrs wright was naked and bound hand and foot with red duct tape when she was pushed from stone's truck 
and then subsequently hit by a police car. Oh my God. He also told he also told jurors that in the course of their investigation into Stone's background, they found a similar kidnapping charge in the early 1970s in California. Oh. However, there were no records. He said that the records were so old they had been destroyed and were unattainable. So why would you bring that up? How is that even allowed? It hearsay. was supposedly it was hearsay. Exactly. And it was supposedly in the closing argument. So I'm sure that that created reasonable doubt, but it was never, I mean, I don't even know if it's real or not. He just said it. Hmm. Okay. Nevertheless, whether it was real or not, he continued to tell the jury that this was not Billy Rose, Ray Stone's first rodeo. Mm-hmm. He claimed that Stone was a serial killer who tried to kill everyone he saw. Uh, basically turning him into a really bad guy that's kind of a stretch if he did do this he is a really bad guy yeah but to just call him a serial killer right exactly in november 2002 after a five-day trial the jury found deputies dillard and stanford not guilty and they were acquitted of all charges now the stone family was pissed they were in the courtroom the whole time and then when they came outside after the verdict Stone's daughter was wearing a t-shirt and on the front was a color photo of her dad that included his name on it and then written across the back were the words stop police brutality. As he was leaving the courthouse after the verdict, the assistant U.S. attorney Bob Norman, he's the one that um, brought the case to trial, Mm -hmm. he told reporters that he's not going to criticize the verdict. He said we have to accept it as the right decision. Hmm. The defense, uh, yeah, so defense attorneys Tony Farise or Farisi and Joey Langston, along with Deputy Danny Dillard, Deputy Jason Stanford, their friends and family, and a battalion of reporters, all went to a nearby hotel for an acquittal party. Yeah, that's what I could, I imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> Deputy Tate, the, now those two, Dillard and Stanford, both returned to work in law enforcement after their acquittal. I think mm-hmm. Stanford went to a different uh, county or a different department. Um, Deputy Tate, he ended up leaving law enforcement altogether. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure what was going on with him because first, supposedly, I mean, he, to me, he was made into the dumbass. Well, maybe he decided police work wasn't, he wasn't cut out for it. Maybe, and maybe you know, if he froze during gun, you know, during um, the, ba- the gun battle, who knows? Could've freaked him out enough to be like, no, this ain't worth it. Right. Yeah. Now the Stone family, they weren't ready to let things go. You know, they believed that their dad was beaten to death. His daughter, Shelly Shoup, doubts the story told by police she said that her father that um before he died that night made four phone calls to his children before the shootout okay she told reporters i had a conversation with my father that same night she said her dad called her at 7 45 and at 11 46 p.m on the night before the july 6th shooting and he called her brother billy ray stone jr at 2 46 and 2 57 a.m the shooting okay. occurred around 4 a.m. July 6th. Shoop said that the last two calls were recorded messages on her brother's answering machine. She said, we haven't told anybody that we have these recorded conversations. Now here she is like publicizing it. Well, that's stupid though. She should have given it to the attorney. Well, she said, nobody has bothered to ask the family. She said, we're stunned because nobody contacted us. She told reporters that she had called investigators with the FBI and the Mississippi Highway Patrol just after the incident, and no one ever returned her calls. She's like, I've called, and I've called, and I've called, and not one person ever called me back. 
in the calls that the dad made on the recording, she said that her dad doesn't sound like somebody who's done anything wrong. She said in one call, her dad was incoherent. And in the other one, he was crying. She said it wasn't like him. So first she's like, it doesn't sound like he's done something wrong, but then he's crying and incoherent. Yeah. And I find it hard to believe that the FBI and the Mississippi Highway Patrol, all these people didn't call her back. Well, right. And I mean, just, there are a lot of little red flags here that, that, that I'm not even getting yeah. a full story on any of this. She said that it was like, he was literally struggling to tell them something. She said, I feel like my dad was telling us something and we don't know what something was wrong. He wasn't normal. So, you know, I'm not sure how close they were to him. Um, you know, he was kind of like, uh, I mean, he was their dad, but they didn't grow up with him. He wasn't like a part of their life as they were children. No, well then, I don't know. This story seems kind of. Yeah. Um, furthermore, she told reporters that her dad was not physically fit. He was medicated for high blood pressure. She said, my dad or my father, when he got upset or depressed, coughed so bad that he had trouble breathing. So basically she's saying that he was not fit enough to evade the police or even fight them. He can't function to go back at you. She said, physically, there's no way in hell my dad can run. I can tell you that. If a cop had grabbed my dad and thrown him to the ground because of his physical condition, he couldn't move. Now, what I will say is that, you know, I'm not physically fit either. And I'm medicated for high blood pressure. But I'm going to tell you, I can probably freaking run if somebody's coming after me with a gun. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who takes medicine for high blood pressure. I mean, and he is in really good shape yeah so i don't i mean because the it it doesn't well, matter what shape you're, you're medicated in. for high blood pressure yeah. you know your blood pressure is supposed to be stabilized so you're right. healthy right yeah never i don't know if i buy that um she further stated that her dad did drink occasionally but he never did drugs and she was pissed off that nobody was giving her information she said they don't want to tell us anything about the autopsy she said nobody states how many times he was shot just after the incident, she, um, she said that a hospital employee told her that her dad was shot twice in the head, once in the neck, three times in the chest, and several times in the lower body. Now, I'm not sure because, you know what, I did not look at that. Shame on me. Shame on me. I know he, he had a lung injury that was, it, it was fatal. Right. Um, she told reporters, I don't know if they think we're just going to sit out here and not do anything, but they're wrong. So the family ended up filing a civil suit against Lee County, mm -hmm. against Sheriff Presley's estate, and against others for the wrongful death of Stone. Now, Stanford's defense attorney told the press, tell them to bring it on. I don't believe a jury in Mississippi is going to award money to the family of a man who killed a sheriff. So Harold Ray Presley had an ex-wife named Charlene Presley, uh -huh. and she was the mother of their children. And she was not going to stand for the Stone family trying to get money off the death of her, of the Lee County's beloved sheriff. Mm -hmm. So she filed a countersuit against the Stone family to make sure they could not profit off the murder of him. Right. So we have filed a suit against them and will countersuit to keep them from getting money from Stone killing Harold Ray. The Presley family counterfiled with a $112 million suit against Stone's estate and family. Whoa. <laughs> right. Charlene <laughs> told reporters Ray Stone's children filed a civil rights lawsuit. The county had to bury the man, and we were told his kids didn't even attend his funeral, but they sure want some money for his death. I can hear her saying that in a Mrs. Uh -huh. My kids have filed a suit against his estate to keep them from getting any money. Eventually, all civil suits from this tragedy 
were settled, but the results were sealed. So I don't know who got what. Ah, okay. If the, all right. So there is a lot about this case that we don't know. And even Charlene Presley thought that she wrote a letter to Unsolved Mysteries to ask them to look deeper into, she wrote to Unsolved Mysteries to ask them to look deeper into the murder of Harold Ray Presley. She wrote, Harold Ray Presley and Elvis Presley's daddy, Vernon Presley, were first cousins. We have received mail from all over the world. I think it would be a good show for Unsolved Mysteries, as there were lots of things that we feel have been done wrong. Presley's father was the brother of Elvis Presley's grandfather, making them first cousins once removed. I mean, they really need to be on Unsolved Mysteries, or? Okay, yeah, she wants this case to be picked up by Unsolved Mysteries. And here's some of her reasons. She said, Sheriff Harold Ray Presley was murdered. The 911 tapes and all newspaper accounts are available on www.djournal.com. The interim sheriff, Jim Johnson, told my son Patrick Presley yesterday that there was a conspiracy to have him killed. What? We had felt, right? Yes. So, was there a conspiracy to have Presley killed? And was there a conspiracy blaming it on Stone? Let's kill him, blame him for this. Maybe Wright was killed because she was a witness and who knows? Who knows? Okay. So, she continues. She says, we have felt this from day one, and I do not understand why during his four months, him being four months of the interim sheriff, he didn't do anything about it. A Shannon police chief was murdered a few years ago. The state investigators, Michael Berthay and Mickey Baker, have never made an arrest. Harold Ray thought Jeff Inlow was the killer and never understood why the state investigators never would arrest and charge him. A week before Harold Ray's death, the same Jeff Inlow was arrested in Beaumont, Texas. The dispatcher at Lee County Sheriff's Department said the officer that arrested Jeff said to be sure that when they come to get Jeff Inlow and bring him back to Mississippi, that they had a daily planner in the evidence room, that it didn't mean anything to them, but it would mean a hell of a lot to the Lee County Sheriff. Jeff Inlow had stalked Harry, Harold, Harold Ray for months. I don't know. There's just, where's this planner? I don't know. There's some shit going down that we don't know about. Yeah. Then she said, we have never seen the Daily Planner, but he told Patrick, the oldest son, what the book had in it was evidence of Jeff stalking Harold Ray. We've asked and asked and have had no reply as to where the Daily Planner is. It has been eight months and never have we been told a word of any investigation. Harold Ray's deputies were put on leave with pay, pending the outcome of Harold Ray's murderer's death. Billy Ray Stone was shot and beat to death. If you read the D Journal, you will get the whole story. Harold Ray's lockbox with all his insurance papers and his money is missing. All files on employees that could lead right to the one that led the conspiracy are missing. Hmm. His chief deputy was told not to open his office, and he went in and stole many items from his office and truck. This has been reported to the attorney general's office with no reply whatsoever from them. There are many employees that would like to tell their feelings as to what happened and how we, the family, were treated. When there are law officers with badges and guns on it, it is on. It is a bad feeling to walk around and wonder who will be next. Damn. So I don't know that they believe that Stone was, I don't know. I'm so confused by this. I know. It's like all over the place. It is. It's all over the place. And I'm thinking that there's a lot covered up that we just don't know. But I'm going to have to let it be because yeah. I'm going to say that police corruption may have won out in this one. Harold Lee Presley, all sorts of stuff. A lot of people dead here um, that could maybe shed some light on the story. Yeah. Wow. 
gosh. Well, thanks, Mercedes. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this from your from your favorite platform. For information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please remember it wasn't me. Please recommend it wasn't me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.